Hello, welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I am Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London, and I have Effie with me. Hello, I'm Effie Pilarino, fintech and blockchain advisor out of Switzerland. And uh, today, our special guest is Rick Villard, who's joining us from New York, from the Agentic Group. Uh, Rick, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Effie. And uh, I'm here in New York on a not so sunny day, but uh, but glad to be here. Thank you. Great, great. So. Rick, uh, tell us about um, a brief uh, a sort of uh, flashback, how um, your road to Agentic Group and the work that you're doing today uh, was. Uh, I know that um, you were founder of a think tank and an early pioneer of the concepts around the Internet of Value. So could you please tell us sort of where you're coming from? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, um, I started in Bitcoin in 2011. Uh, and began to to look at this as a reimagining of what value meant uh, if it's natively digital and the opportunity to then have something global, which of course Bitcoin was designed to, to be. And how does that then reach mass adoption? So you'll hear me talk about adoption a lot uh, within this podcast more than likely, because it seemed at the time, it was extremely esoteric. It still is very esoteric. But as we see the mainstreaming of this, uh, I knew that there was a lot to learn. So I grabbed several people who I consider smarter than myself and said, look, we have to understand this. So we stopped all other activities. Some were VCs. I, I came from the investment space uh, in technology. Others came from different parts of the business spectrum and financial spectrum. And for two years, we said, let's not worry about making money. Let's worry about understanding the space. Let's talk to everybody that we know. Let's explain what we know about Bitcoin. Then, then in two 2014 blockchain uh, and and let's try to wrap our heads around this. The idea was to was to figure out holistically what was happening to the concept of money, the concept of value, the concepts of inclusion. Uh, so I spun Agentic. That was called Mint Combine, by the way. Uh, and I spun Agentic Group out of that uh, think tank in 2015. And the idea was to follow that same principle. Let's track the trajectory of the space in an agnostic manner, not choosing, say, Ethereum over Bitcoin coin over any other platform, but let's figure out exactly where this is going, but then let's also put it into practice. So Agentic began consulting with various incumbents. Uh, we've consulted with Jeremy Rifkin, uh, the TIR group. We've consulted with uh, the, the country of Luxembourg, the port of Rotterdam, and, and other sort of large incumbents. Uh, and at the same time, we wanted to provide financial stability for the startups in the space. Uh, so we aligned ourselves with private funds, family offices, hedge funds, uh, PE firms, and we began a membership, uh, invitation-only membership to those people that we knew from the very beginning uh, had their hearts and heads in the right place to, to create this sort of new new value paradigm, this new construct. Uh, and those are the three legs of the stool, if you will. So it's consulting, uh, membership, or rather community, and and uh, finance. Uh, in order to, to move along with the space, and evolve with the space, again, in an agnostic sense, to be able to cherry pick those concepts, those products, those people, those uh, those uh, companies that were actually making a difference in this space. Uh, most people don't know that I was um, a CEO last year of a public company as well uh, in Toronto called Global Blockchain Technologies, which is a fine company. Um, I, I left after uh, just about a year uh, because I realized that there are two parallel tracks happening in the blockchain space and the, the digital currency space. One is value creation in the very traditional sense, meaning the public companies are selling shares. So people who don't know about the space can 
invest in a share, which they do know, uh, and then by definition, gain some of the of the value inherent in the digital and blockchain space. Uh, but when you're accountable on a quarterly basis for returns, it becomes a very different animal. So I left that uh, to focus on my private company, Agentic. Uh, and so we have the flexibility to look at our membership across the world. We have over 50 members across the world on five continents who are doing amazing things in energy and supply chain and in uh, straight direct financial inclusion uh, in media. And there is a commonality. There's a thread that goes through all of these uh, endeavors. And that is where the inclusion happens. So uh, we focus primarily on the token economy and tokenomics because of a couple of reasons. But uh, two primary reasons. One, uh, a lot of this, uh, these transactions occur on a mobile phone. And that's what most of the world has in common and, and has some reasonable access to. Uh, and second, it allows, uh, if you look at say the mercantile exchange in Chicago or Wall Street, a lot of people who made fortunes in these, in these capacities never went to college, never went, even finished high school. Many of the floor traders came right out of ninth or 10th grade traditionally to intern or act as, as runners for the traders. And they learned as they went along and they became wealthy or at least, you know, not poor as a result. Well, most of the world trades, uh, whether it's a bazaar in Africa or Turkey or Indonesia, a night market in Southeast Asia, many people trade for a living. Uh, and so there are lots of geniuses out there who will actually become quite wealthy in this internet of value. They don't need to go to Harvard or INSEAD or, or any of these places. They're actually, inclusion is a very broad concept. Uh, so our take at Agenta is to create onboarding opportunities for the world to begin to understand how to use these technologies and eventually how to trade them for goods and services and time. The concepts themselves are not new, but the delivery mechanism is very new and how tokens react in their own economies is extremely new. So to be more concise, every community is an ecosystem and every ecosystem is an economy in our eyes. Am I hearing you that you're sort of reimagining uh, the world? I mean, the world that we live in right now is um, we think of uh, countries uh, and their local economies and the frictions of cross-border trade and, you know, those frictions starting from an ID uh, that gives you certain access or prohibits you from access and then trade in, in general, whereas you're talking about creating communities and, and not having sort of the countries in a way and creating new economies and marketplaces that weren't possible before. Is that sort of the vision? That's exactly right. Um, these communities were possible before, but not on a global level. Um, in the United States, prior to the Civil War that we had here, there were over 10,000 active currencies. Uh, the greenback, or the dollar bill as we know it, was a result of the North winning the war, and it was a debt instrument to pay the North back primarily for, uh, for its expenditures during that, during that conflict. Uh, it was decried at the time as being completely un-American, there should not be one standard currency. Communities were up in arms for years about this. Uh, as humans, we're used to having local currency and being able to measure local value pretty well. Uh, so we're actually going back in time in many respects to that, but on a global basis, which is the game changer. So now 
you can have not only communities aren't only geographic communities are also of an intellectual sort or a production sort so you can have hat makers around the world they have balance sheets inventory sales uh, sales metrics these are a community of people okay so it doesn't have to be just people in new york or just people in the new york region or people in california it's about groups that have an affinity towards uh, what they do what they produce be they ideas goods or services attaching a value to that and then putting that on the open marketplace as a bundled asset as a container of value so if you think of it that way then it could be that that local communities uh say gated communities might have their own currency for access or to use the pool or whatever it happens to be and hat makers around the world might have their own currency to be able to trade let's say some of their tokens for access to that pool if somebody happens to be in that area and a lot of these exchanges that you see coming up now in Malta, Gibraltar, Bermuda, uh, Liechtenstein, you know, all of these efforts of these small countries to have a more expansive view of the acceptance of these sorts of utility value uh, and, of course, security token value uh, is going to be the change agent for the exchange between goods and services and ideas. So that's why we see it's a very important concept that it's not by accident that these are not large countries that are doing this or large areas because the larger countries are very embedded in the, in the, in the status quo. Right in, in what value and what money means right now. So it's very hard to change. It's like New York City trying to change its plumbing overnight. Well, you know, that plumbing is, is 150 years old. It doesn't change overnight. Uh, whereas in Africa, uh, there were no landlines by and large. So cell phones proliferated. It's just a leapfrog effect. And so we're seeing value now being expressed in places where ordinarily it wasn't prior to that. Rick, um that was a great point in terms of uh, the emerging markets, leapfrog moments we're seeing with blockchain or we could potentially see with blockchain. So what parts of the world are you kind of uh, seeing the traction and the kind of engagement that you're seeing with uh, impactful projects in emerging markets? What we see is a lot of traction in Latin America. Uh, we can look at, at uh, Venezuela as a really good uh, marker and in- indicator of that. Uh, the Petro you know, token may not be the answer, but there are other uh, emerging models in Venezuela, such as Giveit, uh, which is an amazing group of people out of Los Angeles, but they're Venezuelan. Uh, and they're, they're mixing social media with a token economy and engagement uh, tokens to allow people to upvote with their wallets, if you will, on various videos that people in Venezuela and the social media uh, projects that people in Venezuela are a part of. You have um, uh, other really, you know, it's very disparate. You have people in Korea. You know, we're involved in that project in Venezuela, by the way. We're also involved in a project uh, in Korea uh, that is leveraging the phenomenon of K-pop to create a tokenized loyalty and engagement platform that will teach 500 million screaming teenagers how to actually navigate a token economy. Onboarding is the most important thing that an agency can do. And we are, in fact, you know, agentic is means proactive. It means creating agency, not agency in the traditional sense of an ad agency, but creating agency within the parameters of, or rather the scope of the token economy. So onboarding becomes a very, very precious thing uh, that we take very seriously. And that happens in many forms. So mostly it, it will uh, it will evolve into social media by definition, but a financially driven social media that will obviate uh, you know some of the pain that will be caused by the automation of work, uh, some of the pain that will cause that will be caused socially by concepts 
concerning uh, UBI, universal basic income. Uh, you know, what do you do with millions of people who now don't have jobs and haven't been retrained? Well, this is a perfect idea for people to then begin to have value, value-laced barter, if you will, with these tokens. And that's a really important concept to us. Um, there, you can't reinvent money and you can't just print money to make it available to people. And even if you did print money, as we can see from qualitative easing in America recently, it doesn't mean it gets to people. <laughs> it, 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 ne- it never really means that. It just means that it's more inflation and, and the, the people who already have money get more money. So value is at its root, simply exchange for, for things that people perceive that they want. So we're looking at uh, those scenarios where people already know what they want. Entertainment's one of them. And it seems crass, it seems it seems uh, very mainstream, but the idea is to mainstream token economies. The idea is to get people used to using their mobile phones to trade these assets for goods and services and experiences so that once they know how to do that, then all of a sudden they'll know how to trade. All of a sudden they'll know how to do other things. All of a sudden communities can pop up and express their value independently, but interdependently within the global uh, secondary financial markets, if you will. And uh, if we had a blockchain firm and they wanted to kind of partner with you or be part of your ecosystem with Agent Tech, what, what do they have to do? Well, we, ha- we do have a membership. Uh, primarily we work with our members. Uh, there is a, uh, a fee for that on a sliding scale. From, from startup companies, which is obviously low, to, um, uh, to major corporations, which is obviously higher. Uh, and that's, that's on purpose because we, we do feel that uh, when you have skin in the game, when you have something on the line to lose, you tend to be more engaged. And because of the dynamic nature of the blockchain space, everybody's juggling a million things. So where do you focus? So we want people to focus on their collaboration within our ecosystem. And so the way that we find that that works the best is when they have to pay you know, some sort of fee nominal, you know, but some sort of fee uh, to engage. And, and then we, we open up, of course, you know, their vistas in terms of investors or in terms of clients or in terms of, of vendors or for cross-collaboration. Are there any uh, specific examples uh, that come to mind um, that you could uh, discuss in terms of uh, financial inclusion or whether it can be indirect in the sense that you're creating a new social economy, if you like the, the way you describe it, which obviously mm-hmm. is financial inclusion, but not in the traditional sense of just opening an account to somebody that doesn't have an account, correct? Right, correct. Um, for instance, there is a, a very interesting uh, project in Brazil called Moeda. Um, last year, one of our advisors, uh, Brad Chun, uh, who is now in Korea, but is Korean-American, uh, came with us to Brazil. And he and a partner of, of his actually funded uh, a $20 million ICO that was geared towards creating a token specifically for the women of Brazil to build uh, an economy around the work that uh, women do in, in certain categories. And I suggest people look, look it up. It's M-O-E-D-A. Uh, it's, it's led by a very dynamic uh, young Brazilian-American woman. And uh, what they have done there has been nothing short of astounding in, in, in terms of being able to get value directly to these women who work in, in uh, heretofore had worked in very menial jobs, had been overlooked by society, uh, be they were working on farms or working in urban areas. Uh, and they've, they've built a, a very, very interesting value community around these, these people and they're expanding. So that, that's one really interesting example. Um, another is Givit in, in Venezuela, which I mentioned earlier, uh, G-I-V-I-T. And their, their job is to, or their goal rather, is to help alleviate 
a lot of the suffering happening in Venezuela right now. There is no economy in Venezuela. The Petro token is iffy at best because it's backed by uh, something that is that one would ordinarily think that a, a fiat uh, instrument would be backed by, which is oil. Uh, but that didn't work with, with fiat systems. So why would it work with, with token? Uh, it, it's the same concept. It's just making it digital. Uh, whereas Givit has created social media as a new value paradigm and is now using that and funding that operation presently. Uh, and I would encourage anyone to, to look at their website and, and get an idea of what they're doing as well. Are you participating in the design of uh, these tokenomics, the kind of incentives that will work? Like, for example, you mentioned uh, Moida. Uh, I imagine that we can't take that model and use it in an African country because one has to study sort of uh, issues. So it's a mixture of economics, but also social studies. How really go about it? I mean, do you have a cross-disciplinary approach to designing this stuff? Is that part of the work that you're doing? Absolutely. If you look at our website, we have a number of what we call advisors in very different capacities. So some are professionals of economics, some are business people, some are anthropologists. Uh, there, there's a lot that goes into that. You're so correct by pointing that out. And no, there is no cookie cutter solution. However, there is, there are certain commonalities, uh, because people use, say, you know, mobile phones and, and tokens move in certain ways, but also smart contracts, you know, are built to take into consideration some of the local issues or some of the community issues, if it's not local, but dispersed network of, you know, community, uh, that are unique to that particular community, right? So that, that's always going to be an, uh, an issue. Um, it, it's impossible possible to create in a, in a vacuum. And that, that's also, I'll just take this opportunity to say that that's also why we look at some of the mainstream uh, industries like entertainment uh, that cross borders, the people that view movies in uh, Bangladesh or uh, Ohio or Vancouver have a very similar reason for doing so. And some really similar experience of people who listen to a certain kind of music are getting very similar things from that music. So we look for what joins humans together. Uh, as a company, we, we, we try to look for things that join humans, for those things that we have in common and build around that. There will always be uh, certain unique properties or attributes that arise from these communities that we're going to learn over time as well. Like this is still very nascent, obviously, uh, all very new. And we are committed, uh, as much as we're committed to being proactive and being agentic, we are committed to also learning the space and not not just um, looking at at revenues uh, to be our marker, but knowledge to be our marker. Uh, Rick, um, you mentioned that you have a venture capital background or an investor background uh, from which you kind of evolved into uh, what you're doing with uh, agentic and blockchain. Uh, we have ICO, which is probably the new way of uh, dealing with capital or raising capital. Um, and uh, personally, when when I first heard about it, it, it felt uh, wonderful because there's no there are no boundaries. You've, uh, entrepreneurs have a new way of raising capital and exposing themselves to a much bigger audience. Um, 
for them to come and uh, deploy their capital. Uh, but of course, we've uh, largely got it wrong in what I see it in terms of what has happened around it um, is not really great. So what are your thoughts around it? And um, what at Agentic are you doing around this space in terms of making mm-hmm. sure that um, the projects you are involved in kind of uh, stick to some level of standards and um, regulatory uh, processes, if, if you know what I mean? Absolutely. I do know what you mean. And uh, so I have a co- <laughs> I have a couple of comments to that. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting and important question. Uh, there are a few things happening simultaneously. One is the technology hype cycle, uh, which is a necessary pain that we have to go through, especially on the internet for any new technology, because it, the knowledge or the information surrounding that technology, if it's truly innovative, moves like lightning throughout the world now on the internet. So even in the beginning of the internet, uh, you had this hype cycle. You had the IPO craze coming up, which, which caused the crash in, in 1999, 2000. Uh, and that was a necessary hype cycle and necessary correction of the marketplace as well. So we're, because you can't just do that forever. You can't just, you know, ride that crazy value, you know, well, paper value train forever. Uh, and we're going through, that's the one thing that's similar about now in the beginning of the internet, except now we have the internet. Then we didn't have the internet as we know it today. It was just Wall Street, you know, and, and, and bond, uh, investment banks and VCs that were, uh, that were capitalizing on the, on the hyperbola. Uh, that being said, the ICO phenomenon is, is what we're seeing now as the hype cycle. And in the beginning, it was simply uh, the crypto kids themselves funding their own pet projects, right? So Bitcoin got a bit of a lift. So people started putting Bitcoin into other sorts of applications for different kinds of tokens like MadeSafe. Very, very early, one of the first ICOs was MadeSafe. Uh, or Omnicoin, if anybody remembers that. Um, and it was all very self-referential, really. Uh, and people were building in a very, very closed community, looking at what the future might be. And then, it, of course, once people start to see millions of dollars, they get a little crazy. And and then it went into the point of Trezor and these other, you know, EOS and these other large raises that... Um, that will not last. It's a phase that certainly is needed for awareness on a global scale, but then will self-correct. And I think we see that self-correction now. We, we see it uh, by the SEC recently banning certain companies and certain exchanges from their operations because of uh, bad re- reporting or bad business practices. Uh, as people catch up, you will see a shakeout in the industry. And I do predict that 2019 will be a major shakeout year. I think we're already seeing it. Uh, so what we do and what we've always done uh, in Edigentic is say no to a lot of this. Uh, I am uh, personally an advisor on, on several uh, raises, token raises, but they are not only only ICOs, but there are also uh, STOs, secure token offerings, uh, and and TGEs, token generated events. Uh, I do believe there's a bifurcation. Uh, there's also a connection and a bifurcation, depending on the business model, between secure assets and utility tokens. There are some true utility use cases, but people don't understand what they are yet. Uh, and we generally act as a bridge between the 20th century, really is a culmination of the 10 centuries but prior to that. So from the 10th to the 20th century, finance has been pretty much the same, the same concept uh, with, with add-ons, you know, plug-ins over time. Now we're talking about a phase shift. It's a very different way to view economics across the board. So we, that's a whole different way of thinking. Not, not only, and it's very difficult for us humans to just change gears like, like that overnight. It's, it's impossible to do, actually. So we try to act as a bridge between the mainstream and the future. So we don't necessarily do ICOs. We don't, we don't uh, uh, advise on those, uh, generally speaking. 
but we do look at existing businesses and existing platforms, and we help to tokenize those on a phased basis. So one good example is Muirfield Private Equity Real Estate Firm in Boston. They are a well-known private equity firm in the real estate space. They're very aggressive, they're opportunistic in the real estate space, and they generally have uh, returns or IRR of 20 to 30%, which is extremely good in in their space. Uh, They came to us and we are helping them to tokenize their platform to increase access to funds. So the question is, why should people who already have money only be the recipients of 20 to 30% returns? Why can't someone who only has $1,000 be uh, take advantage of the fact that they might be able to get those returns as well? Say I only have $500 that I can lose. If I want to risk that, why shouldn't I be able to, to risk it with the same rewards as the person who has $5 million? So by tokenizing their platform, what we've done is we've, uh, and, and regulating it, by the way, uh, in accordance with SEC regulations, uh, Section B. Uh, so we have a number of U.S. investors who have to be qualified, but the rest under Reg S can be from around the world, and it can be any amount, any amount of money. It can be five dollars, five million dollars, whatever. And there are different restrictions on those. But the idea is to open up the idea of investing for returns to everyone, to anyone who cares to to actually play, and that's important um, because, as we all know. The, the gatekeepers of money, uh, for, for better or worse, and I think many times for worse, but for good reason, for, for reasons of security and, and for you know, safety for investors, gates that disallow people who don't have a lot of excess cash from enjoying significant returns on their money. There have been thresholds, financial thresholds that one has to meet. The, the, token, the token platforms actually completely destroy those gates and allow anybody. So I can be in Kenya. I can be a, a burgeoning middle, middle class techie in Kenya who has, okay, I have $5,000. I want to invest in American real estate. So I can go to the Muirfield platform and I can actually now put myself in position to get the kind of returns that only people who had a minimum of a million dollars could get last year with that fund. I think that we're uh, close to our last few minutes and, and we really want to Already? All, uh, <laughs> thank you, but also ask you some spicy personal questions mm-hmm. like, um, are there any uh, non-blockchain books that you're reading? How, how do you relax? How do you switch off from this internet of value and, and mm-hmm. this, this new era that you dwell in? for the past couple of years? Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good question. I hardly ever turn off, and uh, everyone in my family is, considers this to be uh, an increasing problem. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I will say that if, uh, I, I do read avidly. Um, for fun, I read books by like 1Q84 or Three Body Problem oh, or these, wow. these kinds of books. But, um, but for business, there, there are three books I'd like to recommend. Uh, to all your listeners. And I think they're very important books. Uh, one is a century old, written by Georg Simmel, who was a German philosopher and a contemporary of Freud, called The Philosophy of Money. It's a 600-page tome about the abstraction of money and what it means in creating the society that we have today. A seminal work that presages some of the issues that we are talking about today in terms of Exclusion versus inclusion, um, abstraction of value as opposed to real value, etc. 
very important book for anyone who wants to understand. And I apologize in advance, it's 600 pages, and you may have to read every page twice. But it's a fascinating book to read, and it's something that everyone who's really, truly interested in this space should read. Uh, the next is uh, Connectography uh, by Parag Khanna, which is a very important book about uh, some of the changes that we're seeing uh, and he, in, in goods and value, and what that means for uh, things like borders, right? And, and we can see that in action right now with the, with the Chinese uh, Belt and Road uh, Initiative, right? To essentially control the ports of Europe and Asia. And they're doing a very good job. Sri Lanka, they just took over the Sri Lankan port, one of the Sri Lankan ports. Uh, and this, these are important shifts, global shifts that are happening in parallel with a rediscovery, if you will, of value. The third is a book I just got, which I, I went to just grab real quickly to get his name right. Uh, it's called Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. So far, that's been a really fascinating book. It's by Anand uh, Giri Dharadas. And he postulates that uh, the idea, and I agree with him, the idea of charity, the idea of philanthropy is essentially flawed. And not only is it flawed, but it supports the very system it purports to alleviate. So the people who create the problems actually are the ones who are in charge of solving the problems, but that's inherently not in their best interest, right? Uh, because they've made the money off of the actual problems, inefficiencies, inconsistencies. So I, I would like nothing better. When I would say we, we're reimagining value at Agentic, we're not just reimagining business. We're reimagining our relationship with value as human beings. And the idea of philanthropy actually is, in fact, oxymoronic unto itself. So in a token system, like I said earlier, financial inclusion means not giving somebody money or giving somebody anything. It means people creating communities of value around what they already do or what they would like to do. The ideas and the concepts and the, the newness, the, the businesses, the products that they're creating and people create all over the place. So there's no need for philanthropy or charity if people have access to capital themselves or access at least to value that they can trade for their existence or for their dreams. So I think Winners Take All is also uh, an amazingly important and timely book uh, if in context of the, the, the token explosion. I have a question for you, Rick. You sound like a coffee person. Are you? And uh, how do you have your coffee in the morning? Always black. Yes, I'm a French press guy. <laughs> is, is, that, is that apparent from the how I talk right now? Very true. At, at night, it's green. Afternoon and evening, it's green tea. But in the morning, it's always coffee. Great. Thank you so much, Rick, for being with us and sharing your insights and um, hope to see you soon. I guess I will in November, right? We'll see you in Basel in November. Yes, absolutely. And thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you both and, uh, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks for the time, uh, Rick. 